So for a while, we've been talking about the manifold grace of God. The word manifold is where we get a biblical Old Testament word for the code of Joseph, code of many colors. It's only used about once in the scripture in the New Testament. And manifold is the periculose. It means a variety of ways, a variety of methods, layers, levels, degrees, shades. And we've been talking about this for a long time. The word grace is a word called haris. It means it's a political term. It means the superior renders to the inferior. It was a political term way before it was a religious term. It means the king will supply everything that the citizens needs to survive and prosper. So Paul addresses this to the New Testament church. So the apostle Paul adopts this word. And when he uses this word, haris, they understand that he's portraying God to be this great king that has it all. And we as his citizens, we are bankrupt. But the good news is, blessed are you that are poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is yours. It means that even though you're bankrupt, but God will give you everything that pertains to life and godliness in this world. And so we're learning this, that the grace of God comes in, in a lot of ways more than just saving grace. And I hope you understand that that is a part of God's grace, but that is just one layer of it, just one level, one piece of the puzzle. So there's really five. We've been talking about five, but first one we talked about is saving grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We are saved by grace. We cannot be saved without God's grace. We know that. Number two, serving grace. Galatians 5. We're commanded. We learned last week that God's grace runs in two directions, vertical and horizontal, the shape of the cross. Saving grace is God coming to us and giving to us. Now serving grace is now that we're reaching out in a horizontal way. And the reason why serving grace is so important because there are some people in the church that's not the easiest people to get along with and you want to serve them. Mm -hmm. We went to a restaurant yesterday and I'm telling you, it's the, we, we're, I'm not going to tell you where we went, but there's a waitress and we know the way she is. But instead of said, hey, we're glad you're here. She says, you're back. <laughs> what do y'all want? I don't care how good the food is. That service will make, make the difference between something that's very tasteful and something very distasteful. And I'm going to give you a little secret. You're all servers of the kingdom of God. And no matter, and I know you think what comes behind this podium will make or break somebody. That is just a piece of what goes on. I'll tell you, they'll form an opinion about this church at the first man that meets the door. That's why I got Philip back there. That's why he's back there shaking hands and hugging necks and because he's a good looking guy and I'm glad he's here. He's friendly. He doesn't stand at the door and say, oh, you're back. What are you doing here? Uh-huh. So when it comes to the, when it comes to the things of the church, serving grace is because if you're going to serve someone else as a Christian, you're going to need grace. You're going to need grace. And I know not everybody's perfect like you are. But you're going to need grace. Well, I just don't like it. Well, what, what do you like? Just tell me what you do like, and we'll try to accommodate you. So God gives us grace that we can serve one another. The third one's called standing grace. That means that we don't fold like a bad launcher. Even though we go through things, the reason why we're still standing is because only God. Only God. Don't get the big head about it, or he'll prove you wrong. 
He'll pull down your britches and he'll give you a big old paddle. He'll show you you can't stand on your own. He'll show you that. Oh, I'm somebody. You are nobody outside of him. So don't, don't get the big head about it. Number four last week was sufficient grace. Now this is, I got, I got to finish this. Sufficient grace. The scripture is 2 Corinthians 12 and 9. My grace is sufficient for you. New King James. Now, if, you want, if you're stuck on the old King James, the, we don't say thee and thou at Long Grove High School. So God tells Paul, he said, of all that, he's going through a whole lot of stuff. He's going through stuff. And, and, and then he says, God tells him, he said, listen, no matter what you're going through, my grace is sufficient for you. Sufficiency. The Message Bible says, my grace is enough. It's all you need. So let me explain something a little bit to you about the sufficiency grace of God. A few years ago, Gail and I went to Mexico with Cosmel on a cruise ship. I know it's going to shock you, but I went on a cruise ship. And I think Jordan was with us, but I can't remember. But we're standing, we're, we're in a line of people, and they've got all these vendors downtown. You can't get away from them. It's like going to a carnival. Hey, buddy, you want to win your girl? A, you know you know how that goes. I can't win anything. So, so now what I tell them, they'll say, they'll say something. I'll say, no money, no money. And they'll say, we'll take credit. No credit. You know, I, I, I'm with them now after 30 cruises. But I'm standing there waiting for the light chain. This guy goes, hey, buddy. And I usually don't look at him. And I had a Harley shirt on there. Hey, Harley, man. And he said, how about a Cuban cigar? I said, well, I don't smoke. He said, how about a Colombian cigarette? <laughs> I said, I'm good. And I'm waiting for the light to change, you know. He, he's an old culture, but like Danny. I mean, he, I try to be nice to him. But, and he said, hey, how about some, how about some tequila? I said, I'm good. And he said, how about some Mexican beer? I said, I don't drink. He said, how about something that'll make you sleep at night? I said, I'm good. I'm not even looking at you. He said, how about something that'll keep you awake? <laughs> and I looked at him, I said, I am a preacher. He goes, how about a Bible? <laughs> he had it all. Whatever, whatever I needed, he had it. Archaeo is the word for sufficiency. And it means by definition to be enough. Satisfying content. Now that's classical Greek. The street Greek means that whatever is in this water, it's, it, it, it can just hold so much. It, it can just hold so much. Pleroma is a word we found out last week, but it has the definitions. The deck can just hold so many fish before it breaks. Much. Buttons on my shirt can just take so much Thanksgiving dinner before they put an eye out. <laughs> Sufficiency is God's definition. He's telling Paul that my grace is all you need. Now, the question is, which grace is he talking about? And it's not necessarily one, but it's a combination of all of them. Healing, righteousness, a peace of mind, strength for the day, joy for each morning, whatever that you may need, I have it. I have it all. Now, Philippians 4, 11 through 13, he says that 
Not that I speak in regard to need. Paul's not, he said, I'm not complaining to anybody here, even though I got some things going on. But I have learned that whatsoever state I'm in to be content. Now, this is not Texas and Oklahoma, but I've learned to be content. Matheo is a word for learned. And by definition, Matheo is where we get a word for Matheus in Matthew 28 about teach the gospel to the four corners. It means to instruct, to teach. It means to bend or reshape the thoughts. I wrote in here that one can experience God's grace, but one can only appreciate God's grace by understanding the scriptures concerning grace. You can experience the grace of God and be ignorant of it. God is better to you than you deserve. I guarantee this microphone was turned off. God is, has been good, better to me than I deserve. Amen. But isn't it amazing that we can all experience the grace of God in one way or the other, but until we understand it in Scripture, we never appreciate it. I can't speak for everybody, but I found out later in life that my dad wasn't that stupid. Isn't it amazing the older you get, the smarter your parents become? And isn't it amazing that older, the, the more we serve God and the longer that we serve God, isn't it amazing the more that we learn about him and learn his ways, the more that we appreciate the grace of God. Because if it wasn't for him, and if it wasn't for his ways and methods and degrees and levels and varieties and things that he did way beyond my knowance of it, but once I began to be a good student of God's word and I understood grace and I understood what he's doing and what he's doing for us and what he's going to do through us and, and, and all these things, I learned to appreciate the grace more than anything. Growing up, I learned to appreciate the sacrifice my parents made for me. I thought money grew on trees. It did not. I went to work, found that out. My job here at this church is to get you to understand and study scripture. Because you can experience the grace of God, but you're not going to appreciate it until you understand the grace of God. That's what I'm doing here. I'm not just trying to sell you a salvation ticket to get you to heaven or get you out of hell. That's part of the grace of God. That's part of the justification process. But I'm here to show you there's an array that God has been moving on your behalf, whether it be preventing your grace, sanctifying grace, justifying grace, whatever it may be, there's graces that are manifold layers. And the more that you see that in scripture, the more that you become appreciative of what God's done. So the word learn, here's, here's a funny thing. See the word learn, I have learned. Someone had to educate me to be content. If someone had to educate you to be content, then someone has educated you how to be discontent. Now, stay with me. This millennial age probably knows nothing about this. I'll turn 63 a couple days or a couple months or whatever. But I will tell you, growing up, I didn't know we was poor. I didn't know that living in the country wasn't cool. I, I didn't know that I was unlovely and unlovable. I didn't know that you, you could have lack of finances and, and a lack of a big house and lack of everything and not be happy. It took someone to teach me 
how to be discontent with what God's given me. Let that sink in. I thought social media growing up is when all the neighbor's kids, we played the street till dark. So evidently, I don't know about you, but evidently some of you grew up financially poor and you didn't know it, but you were still happy. You was happier than you are now making money. Am I the right church? I guess I am. Yeah, there's some drums back there. Yeah. Somebody had to teach you to be discontent because Paul said I had to relearn to be content. You're not born discontentment. You're happy. You love your parents. You have respect for your parents. You have respect for one another. You don't have to wear the highest. You don't have to wear, a, a, you know, all the, the carry the Gucci purses and the Armani suits and the, and the crocodile shoes. You don't have, you didn't have to have any of that to make you happy. You were happy. Most of you barefooted up and down a dirt road. We had no air conditioner. Thought I turned 17. Didn't have no color TV until I turned 17. My dad's remote. You're looking at him. <laughs> well, you talk about child abuse. Hey, go turn the channel. Well, it wasn't a big deal because you only got two. And both of them look like it's a snowstorm. <laughs> the old shotgun houses, mice and bugs come equipped with it. Are you with me? Yeah. Beat up cars. You worked on them more than you drove them. That's why you always had friends to go with you. That way they could push it while you steer. <laughs> Gail and I, when we first got married, we had a little old house. You could sit on the commode and turn the eggs at the same time. It was so small. <laughs> Stuff did not make me happy. When are you going to realize that when they bury you, we're not going to read your income tax bracket at your funeral? I'm not against jobs. I'm not against vehicles. I'm not against clothes. I'm not against any of that. The Apostle Paul said, I've learned what it's like to love God when I'm broke and I've learned to love God when I'm in abundance. But I will tell you, somebody had to teach you to be discontent because you didn't start out that way. It's really kind of funny. We'll talk about this another day. But so what happens is as you grow up, you, you, you wear patches on your blue jeans or patches on your overalls and then worn out shoes. You know, my dad said that they were so poor that they got a pair of shoes each year, got the left foot for Christmas and the right foot for his birthday. So that's the way they did. But they were happy. And I wish my father was here now. I said my, my grandfather was a hardworking, hardworking farmer that was very acquainted with eating crow and possum. Can't even think about that. Just to survive. Picking cotton in the fields, taking them out of school just to survive. But they were happy. The church is not happy. Some of you are not happy. 95 or 98 percent of you are not happy. You're not content because evidently God's not enough. And when are you going to realize that someone through the years had to teach you to be discontent? Because when you first got saved, God was enough. 
And when you first got saved, somebody said, well, we may not pay the electric bill. And you go, it doesn't matter. He is yet still upon the throne and he will supply my needs. Oh, but somebody educate us. Somebody said, well, you're not, you're disobedient and God's judging you and God's punishing you. And, and, and so what the apostle Paul said, I've learned, or I had to be retaught to be content. My job here, besides pestering you, is to reshape your thoughts on how to be content. Because a better preacher and a better piano player and different color walls will not satisfy your spiritual man. Only God can do that. Somebody's lied to you. They taught you. They've learned you to be discontented. And unfortunately, you've lived most of your life in discontent, thinking if I had a bigger house and more money and a bigger job and better looks, I would be content. You will not be content outside of a relationship with Christ Jesus. Period. Period. And you may not get it now, but you wait till you'll bury me and you'll tell me in my ashes or in my body, you were right, Reverend. It took me a while to get it. And there's nothing wrong with stuff. I like stuff, but I found out stuff does not make me happy. Matter of fact, it can make me unhappy. And more than likely, it does. Because most marriages that start good, they end up horrible because they learn to love one another at the beginning and then stuff got in the way. I'm telling you, stuff gets in the way between you and God. Psalms 131 verse 2 says this. David said, surely that I've come and quieted my soul like a winged child with his mother. Like a winged child is my soul within me. Notice what he says. He said, I have quieted myself down. The word soul there is, is mind, will, and emotions. I've calmed way down like a winged child with his mother. A winged child is a child that no longer nurses from his mother. Now, it's, it's kind of funny, but our grandson, Alex, that he's nursing his mother. And I'll tell you what, I mean, when, 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 he's, when he's hangry instead of a Snickers bar, I'm not going to do him any good and his grandma's not going to do it. We pass him around until we give him to mom. And when mom takes him, he quietens down. But David said, I'm like a winged child. I'm no longer nursed for my mother. I just want to be in her presence. The problem with the church today, including this one, is that we're not weaned yet from the dependency of asking God for every little minute and insignificant thing that you think will make you happy. My, my son Jeremy is the world's worst. We, you never take him to Walmart. At, page, at age five, we quit taking him. We banded him. But I, I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't care where we went. He had to have it. He had to have it. And finally, the last stop was in the meat department. He said, I need a pound of ground beef or something. You know, no, because we just said, no, 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 no. And then he goes, well, you don't love me. Then I want to get him. And he went from wanting to need it. I need this toy. No, you don't need it. It's amazing how spoiled we are. If he wants your money back, you can have it. We want to be around God because we got a list for him right here. 
I, I, want, I want a kinder husband, a nicer wife, a better job. I want the electric bills paid. I want perfect health. And I got it all written down. Can you read this, God? You got it? You got it. And God said, I ain't going to give none of it to you. Nope, 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 nope. And you know what we do? We just stomp off and we change churches. Or we stay home and turn on some knucklehead on the television and you send money to them. Yeah, send money to them and then call them when you have a need. See if they'll come and get the cat out of the tree. Help yourself to that. God sometimes says no. But my grace is sufficient. Yeah, but I need this. I understand what you're saying you need, but I'm... And what happens is, is that in the process, as we grow in Christ, that we, we quit coming to God with a want list. You know, your brother-in-law shows up and you already know what he wants. <laughs> I'm not speaking to the Calvary Christian Fellowship. I know I'm not. But you got relatives. You got next door neighbors that you know when they knock on your door. They don't have anything they're bringing you. They got their hand out. I wonder how that makes God feel that the only reason why that we even open our mouth and halfway close our eyes and halfway prayer is because he knows we just want something. A winged child is a child that has the breast of her mother or his mother, but he no longer requires the breast milk. He just wants to be near her. When will we ever grow up as people of God and say, God, even though I have certain needs, but I really don't want anything from you. I just want to be near you today. I just want to be near you. I don't want anything from you outside your presence. I'm not asking you. I've got, I've got, I've got a boatload of stuff. I guess I think I want or need, but you know what? More than anything, there's only one thing that'll quieten my soul and emotions. Listen to me is when you can get in the presence of God and just be still. All my life, you've been faithful. All my life, you've been so good to me. With every breath, I will sing that God's your good. Contentment is that when we can come to God, not that we want something from him, is that we just want to be with him. That's where I'm at. And if that's not where you are, then I'll give you a phone book to tell you what churches to go to. All I want to do is be in the presence of God. All I want to do is to honor him and live for him. And, and if, he, if, he, if, if he does this, fine. If he doesn't, his grace is still enough for me. If he never does another miracle for me, it's okay. He's done enough. If, 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 he, if he never supplies another need for me, it's okay. He's supplied enough. Because we as humans, we're greedy and our nature is greediness. And I'll tell you, there's no end to our greed. And we just keep adding on and piling up. And, and when do we get to the place where we say enough is enough? How much is enough? How much is enough to make you happy? And here's the answer. Just a little bit more than you have now. That's the answer. How much money will it take to satisfy you? Here's the answer. 
a little bit more than you have right now. And tomorrow, when he gives you a little bit more, it'll be the same question and it'll be the same answer. There is no end to greed. And Jesus, the garden against him, he said this, can you just not pray with me for an hour? Can you just not be with me? Can you just not be still with me? Can you just not appreciate my friendship for an hour? You're always wanting. You're always needing. You're, all, you're a needy bunch. And maturity is means that we, the people of God, are weaned. And keep in mind, I'm telling you, God is in the business of, of healing and supplying needs and all these things. But I'm speaking to you. I have learned to be content. God knows what I need before I even ask it. Do you think he's dumb and, and deaf? He knows. But I'll tell you, the greatest thing that we can do before we leave this church service this morning is know this, that once we get into this realm of, of contentment with God, just being content. And, and if somebody blesses you and if AJ writes you a check for $5,000, hey, spread the love. I'm just telling you, it's all good. But you know, if he doesn't, which he's not, it's all right. But I'm content. His grace is enough. His grace is all that I need. Now let's get to the end of it. Philippians 4 and 13. I can do all things through Christ who or which strengthens me. Everybody knows this verse. Agreed? Okay. Let's show Philippians 4 and 13 in the Amplified. I can do all things which he, Christ, has called me to do through him, Christ, who strengthens and empowers me to fulfill his purposes. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. It's called arto or chaos. We learned this last week. And I'm ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses me with inner strength and confident peace. The word strengthen is a word called endunamus. It's, it's, a, it's a funny word, but the word infuses is a better word. By definition, the word infuses means to impart, to inspire, to influence, to extract essence, to steep into another. Street Greek calls it to transfer color and taste into another. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's a great, it's a great verse. Everybody, everybody knows it and everybody likes it. And, but do you have any idea what that means? So you're going to say, well, when I pray, he, 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 he zaps me. That's incorrect. That's a dumb answer. Well, he strengthens me is that when I, when I get it right, get my hair right, my, my dress lengthened, get that makeup off or on, or when I get all my attaboys together and, and I do everything perfect and right, he strengthens me. That's another dumb answer. So strengthen in dunamis is a word where we get a word for infusement. So instead of using the nature of Christ, we're going to use the nature of tea. 
So someone would say that I would like to have a glass of tea. Anybody besides me would like to have a glass of tea. Okay, so here we go. We're gonna give you a glass of tea. That's what you asked for, wasn't it? Don't be looking at me that way. You want half a glass or full glass? I mean, I'm just asking you, you want a glass of tea? You said, I'll have a glass of tea. Now, what would you think if you went to that waitress I talked about and you sat down and said, I'll take a glass of tea and she brings that out to you. You're going to say, smart Ellie. <laughs> so the idea in order to have a glass of tea, it takes two components. It takes this. And it takes this. This represents the nature of Christ, and this represents us, tasteless, colorless, bland. So the idea is that when you come here and you begin to understand and hear biblical scriptures and, and, and things that we try to, to impart in you as far as the, the scriptures, that's all I am, is, is, is a scripture man. That's all I want to talk to you about. Then what happens is, is you come here on a Sunday morning and maybe you're, this is your first time and you took notes and this tea bag represents scripture. So here's the deal. I got it in you. It didn't work. It's not working. The word of God is a liar. It's not working. Nothing's happening there. Nothing's going on there. He told me to get the scriptures, so I gave him the scriptures, and you took it, and you wrote it down, and you went home, and you recited it, and you looked at it, and, and you put it in your life, and you're going, well, this is not working. This morning, right before church, I put in the same bag at seven o'clock this morning. It's still not working. Yesterday evening at 4.30 when I came here, I put the same bag and let it set. What happened? The tea infused the water. The only way that this tea will not infuse the water is if you take it out. And your choice this morning is you can go through life tasteless and colorless and meaningless if you so want to. But I think I choose that I want to live a life that glorifies my father. And I found out through the years that the, the more I allow his presence and his word and his scripture to remain in my life, it infuses me with the nature and the color and the taste of tea. It needs about a gallon of sugar. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, through the years, uh, people got to sing and say, hey, that was a great song. You did a great job. Oh, it was God. Really? Sounded like you. <laughs> you understand that Jesus, Yahshua, and us spells the name of Jesus. It's Christ in us. And as it, and here's the deal. As you allow the word of God to continue to remain in your life, when you allow the word of God, here, we're going to go in a minute. What time is it? We're going to go. And you put that, you put that scripture that I can do all things through Christ who infuses me. And even though today it ain't doing nothing, nothing changes. You still have that stinking mentality and you still got pesky neighbors, but nothing's happening. But I will tell you, if you'll just leave it alone, let the word of God set and, and here's the deal. When you make iced tea, does anybody beside me, you stir it. You know what I'm thinking, don't you? Oh, it's the neighbors that I live by. It's called agitation. Oh, there are a bunch of cat lovers over there. Oh God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? You know what he's doing? He's agitating the process because the more you stir it, the more it becomes the nature of God. And that's why sometimes that he allows things to come your way, to agitate you and stir you up because you know what it's doing? Because it's stirring the tea leaves into the water in a faster rate. Nobody puts tea in a bag and don't stir it. So here's the deal. You see, it's already turning. See that? Little by little, the Word of God will infuse you and He's going to change you. He's going to change you. He's going to give you confidence. He's going to give you peace. He's going to give you tranquility. Through your bad choices and your horrible mistakes, the Word of God will still infuse you with the nature of the characteristic of God. That's why the Word of God is so important. Some of you barely got here this morning, but thank you for coming. Some of you this week that you've had your brains beaten out. Thank you for coming. Some of you this morning is going to go to the doctor this week and you're not for sure what he's going to tell you. Thank you for coming. Some of you are going to go home to a husband and wife that's not excited. You're going to go home to him. Some of you are going to go to work tomorrow and with an employee that it could care less whether you know Jesus Christ or not. Thank you for coming but you're not coming here for naught. The Word of God is getting in you. The character of God is getting in you. And I will tell you, look here, already something's happening, already. I can do all things, Paul said, because Christ infuses me with strength. Amen. There's something going on in you, even right now. He's infusing you with peace of mind, clarity of thought, confidence, strength, contentment. Father, this morning for the people of God, there's something so powerful in the nature of Christ because it has the power to infuse strength and confidence and quietness, serenity, 
in us. Without you, we're just bland, we're colorless, we're tasteless. But your son Jesus has the ability to infuse qualities and characters of goodness and kindness and generosity. We stand before you guilty this morning because we have been taught to be discontented. We stand before you with, without one plea. We have been taught to be discontented in life, with you, with one another. Because we know what it's like when we first come to know you as Lord and Savior that, that there, nothing really mattered. Things were important, but it really didn't matter. But as long as we had that relationship with you and it spilled out into our family and our homes and our churches, and, but we had our thoughts reshaped and rebent. And we were told that the bigger the church, the more happier we would become. We were told that the more people there was, the more powerful we would become, the more popular that we were, the more finer clothes that we wore. And it was all a lie. It was all a lie. So at the close of my days, I've learned this one thing. Nothing will satisfy my heart like just being in your presence. Whether it be in this service or driving down the road behind a steering wheel with hot tears running off my face. You're just touching us and letting us know that you're there. And it brings contentment to my heart. Whether you ever answer another prayer for me, it doesn't really matter. You've answered enough. If you never do anything else for me, it's okay. You've done enough. I'm content. I'm content with a lot that you gave me in life. I'm content. Your grace is sufficient. And all I want to do is be in your presence. So infuse us this morning with this thought. It's Christ in us, which is the hope of glory. And we give you thanks in Christ's name. And all the people of God said, amen. If you believe that this morning, stand and give the Lord a praise offering, please, huh? It's getting better. The Word of God will work in your life. Communion service, please come. The Word of God will work in your life. You may not think it's doing anything. Oh, it is. It's steeping into your life. It's changing you. You're not the same person you was a year ago. You're not the same person you was 10 years ago. Something is going on in your life. No matter what you've been through and what your struggles have been, God has been with you every step of the way to bring you to this resolve that He is all that you need. 
You don't need me. You don't need preachers. You don't need buildings. You don't need finances. All you need is a relationship with God. So that's why we're here today. He sat with his disciples and he took the bread and he took the cup and he blessed it. And he said, this is my, my body that is broken for you. Your fathers did eat of the manna that was sent from God, but they hungered. But I am the bread of life. And if any man eats of me, he will never hunger again. John 6. And then he took the cup and he said, for 1500 years, you've been celebrating the Passover with the ram's blood. The ram's blood would be taken, placed on the doorpost in the shape of a cross. When the death angel, the Abaddon, would pass over that first night, he would pass over you. Jesus said, I herald the worlds of John the Baptist. I am the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world, and my Father will take my blood now and place it in the shape of a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. You, this morning, you may have been experiencing the grace of God, but until you read it in Scripture, you never really appreciate it. And what you heard this morning, I want you now to begin to appreciate God's grace in your life. It's infusing you. It's changing you. You're not the same. Father, bless this cup. Bless this bread. And for all that partake of it, let it infuse their spirit, man, to be more like Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.